Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. Praise God. What I'm going to share tonight began with a fundamental question in my soul many years ago. I read one of the most revealing books of the New Testament, the book of Acts. And I read things that were unbelievable, yet had existed in history. The power and presence of God that was in the early church was threatening. It was scary. A man and a wife plan to give to God, they give, but they don't give a full amount of what they were supposed to give. And by the word of a man, they're stricken to death immediately. Think about it. Imagine experiences of people in the upper room praying. And as they're praying, the Spirit of God comes upon them. One man comes outside, speaks for like 20 minutes, and 3,000 men come to Christ. Imagine you're walking a street, and in there are believers praying for boldness, and the ground they were on literally starts shaking. Because of the presence of God. Cooks were doing crusades in marketplaces, opening blind eyes and cleansing the lepers and raising dead people, the Stephanoses, the Philips were appearing and disappearing. What a life. What a life. What a story. And so many years ago, I asked myself a question. I said, God, why don't we see the reality of such experiences in the church today? I'm not doubting that there have been experiences in certain ministries that spell such things even better. But I was not talking about the ones we read about. I was talking about present day organized church. Where the cameras have increased, the lights have increased, philosophy has increased, theology has increased. Networks have increased, social media has increased, commentaries have increased, study books have increased. Everything is at the increase. Men are decoding and encoding biblical things. They're reading and if you are to go in the world of knowledge, it's amazing the things present day church is discovering. Right? But I ask myself, why is it that these things do not reconcile with what we see presently in the church? 
And I speak as one who has seen miracles, signs, wonders. I am heavily anointed. And I'm not sorry. You understand? The demonstration of the spirit for me is not in the class of, of hoping. No. If it is sin, it's no longer hope. Praise God. It's knowledge. And I'm boasting in a faith that I know we are qualified to boast in. Praise God. We know God. Okay? So I'm not speaking like one who has not really tested a certain grace and glory. I have seen things that some has even had to narrate because we don't want to be misunderstood by people who will ask questions we cannot answer in one hour. You understand what I'm saying? Some will stay personal. Some will stay to those people who have been around us and seen things <laughs> that have amazed, humbled us, and broken us before God even the more. But I've also moved the world. I've moved places. And I've seen that the uniqueness of the operation of the Spirit of God in a certain degree is leaving many churches. I've been to all kinds of churches. I've seen men who can excite a whole crowd, but they can't look at cancer in the eyes and curse it, you know? And so, I started to study many things, of which over the years have become part of my responsibility. In the office, the Lord has called me to bring a certain understanding, to do my part and Lord, because that's what I really owe God and believe him that somehow sanity will come as we continue to believe God, as we learn and unlearn, as we bend, break, and are killed for the things of the spirit. And one of the things the Lord tells me in Malachi chapter 4, verses 5, he says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great day and the dreadful day of the Lord. Praise God. The spirit of Elijah, more than just the essence of defining the anointing, in verses 6, the Bible says the responsibility of that spirit is to turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers. And he says, least I come and smite the earth with a curse. If you are not a reader, you will realize, he says, he shall come to turn the heart of fathers, not the hearts of fathers. He shall come, the Bible says, to turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers. He's not saying the hearts of the children to their fathers. The heart of the father is one. The heart of the children is one. Praise God. Somebody shout hallelujah. Because they all derive their identity from one ultimate father. Praise God. Now, I started to realize that 
the church of Jesus Christ every other day is starting to look like any business institution, any organization of the earth, any industry, any company, any group of businesses. And at whichever level it is, whether it's the corporate, some churches are corporate. <laughs> they even have corporate services. <laughs> As of whether they're small and medium enterprise businesses, some churches operate like small and medium enterprise businesses. Praise God. Traditional modern management. It's not relational. It's transactional. We hire you to do this. We pay you to do this. You deliver according to what we've asked you to do. You fail to do that. We fire you. We hire somebody else. Because now the desperacy is at any cost. Like any other business, the ministry must grow. And the very things that grow businesses are the very things that are growing churches today. Same things. Same principles. Praise God. Same worldly principles. And sometimes the man who thinks sometimes could ask themselves, are our ministries really growing because the spirit of God is with us? Or they're growing because we've grown cunning and crafty enough to grow men like we are growing products and services in businesses? Because today, what is happening in the church is not relational. It's not transgenerational. It's not father, son, mother, daughter, mother, son. It's not transgenerational. Every generation starts from a new slate. And it's almost starting to look as though because many of the tenants have been arrayed that way, that some people assume that it is supposed to be so. So all the greatest men I see, the biggest number, are now pioneers and starters of their own businesses or ministries, genuine ministries. They're never foundational. They're never a continuation of a great glory. An increase and multiplication, a double and triple grace of operation according to the ordained line of God's purpose. But these disconnections, slowly by slowly, are killing the flow of the Holy Spirit, the power of God as it must. And the essence of the presence of God and the covenant that he has ordained in honoring men with his power according to the things he has spoken for with the men of old, the people he dealt with, the people he relates with. Because we have a very confused understanding of the father and son in this dispensation. In the earlier years of history, if you're going to go and study, there was a group in the United States, they called themselves the Shepherding Movement. I believe their intentions were right in the start. But consequently, they produced what I believe has been a repetition of church history for so many times. And because of that reason, of course this was the idea, that they started to teach, you know, submission, accountability, everybody must submit to a spiritual authority, da-da-da-da-da. 
the whole process was clear. They started to teach what it means for father and son uh, relationships uh, to exist. But might I add, as I use the word fathering and sonship, may I add that in Christ there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither male nor free. So the word father here could also imply a female entity or mother, right? So don't think that I'm just, you know, gender inclined. I want you to understand that where I put father, you can also put mother. Is that okay? Now, they brought an idea of teaching, submission and accountability in the body of Christ. It was a successful thing. It aligned the church to a certain degree. But sadly, it was grossly misrepresented and abused. One, because the proponents of that movement themselves floated the very principle they were teaching. Are you following what I'm trying to say? It's like you telling somebody that eating ice cream is good, but you don't eat it. Okay? They were reaping as fathers what they were not sowing as sons. Are you following what I'm saying? And also, there was a bunch of people which were so desperate because of the new move and idea, the new doctrine that had crept in church. And some out of excitement and the desperacy and shame of being illegitimate went out searching for men and women they could sit under as fathers. And many of which were unskilled and inexperienced in the things of the spirit and the anointing, the responsibility, the wisdom that comes with that. And many of them wounded, bruised, and killed these ones. Why? Because they were not fathers. You understand? So they bruised and destroyed many. And after destroying many, uh, many things started to creep into the church where people got to a point where they no longer knew the difference between God and spiritual father because many spiritual fathers took the place of God. They became God in the lives of people. But also I want you to understand that some of these which were fathering were not also fathered. So many of them did not even have the primary experience of having sat under oil to serve it. And so their expectations were quite different from the teaching of scripture. It was a move that happened faster than could be contained. Of course, a few men of God, like Pat Roberts and the rest, come up and attack and hit it because it brought more destruction than good in some people, not all, right? And because of that, a bigger chunk of the United States of America threw away the baby and the bathtub. Now, present day, you go in America and see that what they threw away was what they needed most because it's evident the churches now, many, not all, but many of them there, are not relational. They're transactional. And that is why the gospel has been very commercialized in such areas of the world. Because there is no relationship. People are looked at as income. Numbers translate to potential to manipulate, potential to network, potential to take advantage potential to build and get what you want because you have the numbers that will get you what you want. People individually are not responsibility. But because of that also, 
transgenerational anointings died. Do you understand what I'm saying? Back in the day, you'd have almost 40 or 30 men that would march for generals in one nation. And we're talking about generals in the spirit. I'm not talking about people who have preached the gospel for 20 years or 30 years. I'm talking about what people define as generals. No. When I'm talking about generals, I'm talking about people whose authority goes beyond the normal understanding of the four walls of church. That they have enough power to call heads of state and tell them to do things and they are done. Do you understand what I'm saying? When I'm talking about generals, I'm talking about people who can enter a nation and judge a plague. I'm not talking about people who can enter a nation and pray for people who are sick with plague and they are healed and 20 people are healed. No, I'm talking about men who can enter a nation and judge a plague and judge a principality and judge a power and it bows to the name of Jesus Christ. I'm talking about an anointing where one man can speak and every witch doctor in Kampala in Uganda loses peace because the guy who spoke has enough authority to change the destiny of those men in seconds if he's to judge. I'm talking about people whose voice is the voice of God himself. Not the assumed voice without the authority. Are you hearing me? And now as you start to move, you start to realize that in different continents, generals are dying out. Generals are being replaced by fellows who don't even understand the identity of the anointing. They are in the church. They are good preachers. They are good teachers of the word. They can excite. Are you hearing me? But they don't command men's destinies. They don't change people's lives. You understand what I'm saying? And our churches, they're good. They're lights. You watch them on television. They're full. People are hearing. You know, they're encouraged. They encourage men, right? They encourage men. But they don't star beyond the vein of blessing into getting into the souls of men and creating crazy anointed people out of their own ministries. They can't even produce mantles in their own household. Even their children have failed. Do you understand? Why? Because transgenerational anointings are dying. That is why when we talk about things like ancient oil, those are things many people here don't understand. Or if I'm to ask, men will assume that ancient oil is someone who has been so old for so long with the anointing. Yes, to some degree, but not to every degree. Are you following what I'm trying to tell you? Not to every degree. Not to everybody. And I've not only studied the U.S., but I'm studying. I'm studying. And I see that today, even in the church of Jesus Christ, people don't understand how to receive from anointed people. There are men we met encountered them. We knew how to receive from them because we know how we saw them by the Spirit. And those same men sat around people who we also knew and they never changed. Because many people don't understand how transgenerational anointings work. The fathering spirit, when we start to talk about such truths, those are the deepest components of Christian identity. 
The Bible calls him the father from whom all families in the world derive their names. They cannot be only physical and they're not spiritual. We're talking about the essence that defines every generation in the anointing they should flow in. Some people don't understand that this also defines how far a generation can go. Think about it in the physical sense. Physical world. Have you noticed that because the church has disconnected from this truth, which was supposed to be the epitome of teaching and example, when you now get in the physical world, every other day, fathers are disappearing. Go in Europe, go across the world. Like one time I was talking to somebody from the United Kingdom. Divorce for them is like, huh? you have annoyed me, go. You understand? It's not about children. Marriage is not entered in fear. People don't come out of it in fear. Do you understand? In reverence. It's not honored. It's a contract that I walk, you walk, I walk. You get my point? So you have a big chunk of dysfunctional children who did not have the opportunity to be raised by a real father. A real father. It's not the child's fault. It's not the child's fault. But it has happened. And they also grow and can't be fathers. They also grow and can't be wives. Because they can't understand the voice of purity when it's coming out of love by their own husbands. Why? Because no voice spoke to them in purity. No voice spoke to them in a pure intention ever. The first man who told her he was beautiful wanted her for the wrong reasons. You understand? No man could affirm and confirm things in her. You get my point? It also affects the, bo the boys too. If, if, I didn't, if I didn't have an opportunity for my father to show me how to love his wife, it... How, where do I begin from? How to raise his children? Where do I begin from? Do you understand? And now, we are every day, like research has proved, that whether you're talking of the highest percentages of rapists in prisons, they tell you almost 80% of people who have been caught in rape cases in prison were raised without fathers. Is that by mistake? More than 68% of suicide cases in prison cells are families without fathers. More than 80% of behavior issues. When research was done, even in the United States, it was proved that these were people without fathers. You understand what I'm saying? School dropouts, more than 76% of school dropouts are families that did not have fathers in homes. You understand what I'm saying? And now science has not even helped. It's trying through a very demonic way to prove to the world that you no longer need the male seed to produce life. Because that's the one thing that has kept fundamental that defines the man. Every man is defined because he has a seed. And that seed is potential. It is life. In it is a brain. In it is an individual that can change the world. Now you're hearing sciences like cloning. Life coming out of nothing. 
Spam banks are in the world now. Women don't even want to know who the fathers of their children are. They don't want to know who these beasts are. They can get a sperm and get a child. The rest is history. You get where I'm coming from? Why? Because if the church gets it wrong, the world will get it wrong. Who has understood what I just said? If the church gets it wrong, the world will get it wrong. We are the ones supposed to show them that this is fathering. Notwithstanding that there might be, you know, unavoidable experiences and things in life that would hit left, right, and center. But at least God is looking to the heart. Do you understand what I'm saying? To the heart. To the heart. That is why you see that it is almost as though one generation after another, one generation after another is detaching from these realities, these experiences, this understanding, this. And if we don't teach this now, a time is going to come where people are going to forget the concept of family. It has started in some parts of the world and it's creeping slowly by slowly. Somebody shout amen. Now everyone has their own definition of family. Because men have not stepped up to their own roles. Now, some women also feel they are men. And because some men were also raised a certain way, they also feel like they are women. They feel it. They feel it. That's what they feel. That's what they feel. They feel it. Paul says, though you have 10,000 instructors in the Lord, he says, but a few fathers, for through Christ I have begotten thee. He's talking about the essence of generational blessing. But it was abused by those who were claimed to be spiritual fathers. If you have ever been abused in your heart, it's so hard for you to, do you understand what I'm saying? Because, but they also, they were not fathered. So I don't judge them. I'm only talking about my generation to say, can God help us? You get my point? Some people cannot submit to any authority. Why? Because that's their story. The first time they sat before the sword that was supposed to divide, cut asunder, separate bone and marrow, expose their hearts and thoughts for what they really are. The guy that used the sword used it as a butcher. And they were amputated. And they were maimed. Potential fathers were made eunuchs. They were castrated. A young man leaves a church. And a man tells him, you will fail. You will die. I have cursed you. 
And he says he is a spiritual father. Praise God. We never separated the kingdom from ministry. And we thought that we were spiritual fathers <laughs> for the kingdom. No. Spiritual fatherhood is for ministry. There's only one father in the kingdom. And that's Jehovah God. But you see why we incline to claim fatherhood in kingdoms was because we are building the kingdoms of men. Men established personal agendas and put them in the hearts of innocent people who loved God and were available to serve. And they manipulated them. And at the end, you feel more used by a man than the God that called you. You can't understand it until it happens to you. But I pray it never happens to you. If it has, you understand what I'm talking about. Somebody shout amen. And because of that, when you talk to some young men and tell them you have to submit to authority, it is so hard. Right from the families they come from to the men who said I'm your spiritual authority. Do you understand what I'm saying? One time I spoke to a young man, he told me, my spiritual authority wanted to kill me. <laughs> wow. Men with true hearts before God, the Davids, they are raised by souls. I don't even understand how that equation works, but it happens. Praise God. The Jacobs are raised by Labans. The list is endless. Saul never looked at David as a son. He looked at him as a weapon. But he could call him son if it was enough for David to carry precision in the weaponry. You understand? He was not a son. He was a weapon. But by calling him son, he was a better weapon. And David never knew the difference. Because you can't understand how the same young man you've given your daughter to marry, you can want to kill tomorrow because he killed 10,000 of your enemies. The bigger picture. That's why you ask Saul, were you building the kingdom of God or were you building your own kingdom? Was it a personal selfish idea or was it divine purpose in your office? So, the Bible says his countenance changed and the same man who saves him from the giant, he is ready to slay and kill at any cost. And some don't kill with sword and spear. Some kill with a mouth. Are you hearing me? They do witchcraft with their mouth. They confess evil and declare death on young souls. One time I found a young girl crying at the age of 18, I think. She was at university. She was in a church of a spiritual man. And the man told her to lead the fellowship. And she said she didn't feel led to lead the fellowship. And this 40-something man goes on an 18-year-old daughter of somebody, looks at her straight in the eyes and tells her, you're going to die. He pronounced death on her. She came in my office. She said, Apostle, a man said, because I said I'm not ready 
to serve the way he expects me to serve. He said that I'm going to die. I told her, look at me. If God kills you, then let him come and kill me too. And she said, oh. Because I told her, a causeless curse cannot alight. Such foolishness in the body of Christ cannot be accepted. Some authorities have to understand what it means to be a father. It doesn't matter how mad I am at you, I will never speak evil of you. I'll never curse you. Even if I don't agree with you. I can't kill you with my mouth. I shouldn't kill you with my mouth. That's not fathering. And sometimes we've kept them babes because we've nursed them so long in the womb of the church that many of them have stayed babes in that womb and cannot be fathered into ministry. They are, they are in church just to survive. They come for needs, go back when the needs are met. They will never understand what it means to become heels, the mature sons, and carry responsibility in the extension of the gospel. Carry their part and lot. Because they're seated under oil, they're serving, but they don't understand that there is an end of heaven's expectation toward them. But you know, some enjoyed keeping them babes because that was the only way they would earn from them. Some keep them in the place of demonic activity such that she can stay bound and need me. Because if I show them the truth and they are free, will they come to pray again? That's what they think. But you see, people don't come to pray because they are bound. Not everybody who comes to the presence of God is bound. No. Some of us come to the presence of God because we know we are free. And because this was not relational, it was transactional. Every man was looked at as an interest, a profit, an income. You end a church, he looks at your paycheck, looks at how much you have, then comes in the morning and says, the Lord told me, you have an office to serve. Why? Because the guy has a feeling that if this fellow does not serve, he's going to leave the ministry and the basket is going to reduce. And so they've got an unskilled, inexperienced, inequipped workers. These kids have rushed to the altar. They have served. They've crashed on the same altars. They've limped off broken. Some even left the gospel. Because the stuff they found when they were entrusted with the altar was too much for their little young souls to hold. Some were hit with pride. He says, appoint not a novice for least out of pride. He will be what? Condemned of the devil. Some, they felt that the offices that were given were proudful places to boast and also confer their own authorities on people who are in the lower ranks. You know, you have to do this because I am this. You understand? They didn't understand that even though you're given an office, there are places where God must honor you and qualify you. They thought the offices were their qualifiers. And that's why the church is losing identity. Because we think identity is in the gifting. No. The identity of the church is not in the gifting. No. The identity of the church is in the generational anointing. It's in the way God patterns ministry. So we think the more gifted a man is, the more he is mature. 
if you can do this, prophesy, cast out devils, do all these kinds of things. Ah, that one is mature. Are you hearing me? But then over time, there are weights that are thrown on this young man or woman. Sometimes might not be age, but sometimes might be place in God. And then they become so heavy. I have seen some young men put on the altars, walking off those altars, limping, and they left the church. Why? Because they were not supposed to be on that altar in the first place. They were given offices that were not theirs. You get a teacher and make him a pastor. You get an evangelist and make him a prophet. You get a preacher and make him an apostle. In fact, now the apostolic is too diluted. The people think that that office is the privilege. No. <laughs> no. No true apostle is proud. The Bible is clear. Because you see, the apostolic is servanthood. It can't behave itself a certain way. You're following what I'm saying? Now, you're looking at prodigal sons, producing prodigal ministries, and then prodigal ministries also create spiritual fathers, and then they also, the prodigal spiritual fathers, which are really sons, or not even sons at all, also create other things, and then you see a generation of three or four, and you enter a man's ministry, and you're sure God is not there, but he's convinced that God is there, because his gift is shaking a few chairs. Let me tell you, God is not in a place to the intensity of purpose because your gift is thriving. God is in a place to the intensity of purpose because the hearts of men are being directed and stirred to their true destiny in God. He says, for through Christ I have begotten you. He introduces Onesimus as his beloved son. He introduces Timothy. He calls him his son in the faith. Praise God. His son in the faith. First Timothy. Chapter 1 and verses 2. He calls him Timothy. My own son in the faith. But I tell people. There's a reason why Timothy was Paul's right hand man. Why? Because he saw in the boy. The three generational grace. He saw the faith which was in the grandmother, Lois, mother Eunice, which was in Timothy also. He says, you know, if I need a man to stand by my right-hand side, I'm looking for a man in whom this seed is. He saw that Timothy had a transgenerational anointing. The spirit of Timothy could carry transgenerational grace. That's a level of faithfulness. He knows if he should die, Timothy is positioned enough because in him is the ability to beget. He just didn't choose anybody. That is why if you read scripture, Timothy's father was a Greek man, isn't it? When Paul meets Timothy, he circumcised him himself to own him to say, look, I know you had a physical father, but by spiritual authority, he circumcised the boy. Are you hearing me? Timothy was Paul's son in and out. Yet not biological. Where was Timothy's father? 
How come there are three generations of women passing faith in their own children, yet we don't see the presence of men in these three generations? The fathering spirit. Who is following what I'm trying to say? Now, because of that, the pattern is destroyed. People can't listen to anybody. Christians in the church are rebellious. I was talking to a fellow minister, and he told me, Apostle Grace, if I tell you how many people are in my ministry, and I can greet, and they can't answer me, who I told him, welcome to the world. We have t-shirts too. It's not your fault. It's a generation. It's a generation. You get my point. He said, people come in his ministry and sit in his ministry and discuss his inefficiency, his discrepancies, his inaccuracies in his own ministry. I told him... <laughs> That is the church today. Praise God. The identities every day are what? They're dying. And now we're seeking for identities under umbrellas. And I'm not saying umbrellas are bad. <laughs> but they're not as relational. As a spiritual authority over a ministry. God has not ordained anything above the local church. Except that order. Of father, son. It's not in scripture anyway. These things you hear overseer of what many of those things. They are Rome. You go back in Rome between 70 AD to 312, the formation of those offices. It was a Roman system. It was not a divine system. It's not there. No man has ability to oversee a continent. It's not there. How? How would you do that? How do you hold the whole? How? <laughs> Practically, it's not possible. But you see, it's the hunger for power. Praise God. And so now, we have Christians that cannot submit to any order in the body of Christ. There's even probably people here in this meeting. You love Fanero. Thursday you come. Thank you for coming. <laughs> Praise God. Tuesday or somewhere. Monday or somewhere. Wednesday or somewhere. Friday or somewhere. Sato or somewhere. Sunday or somewhere. <laughs> Do you have an authority? By the way, it's okay to visit a ministry. But visit it under the permission of the authority that takes you. But me, who takes you? <laughs> You're your own pastor, prophet, evangelist, bishop. You, it is you and the Holy Spirit. Full stop. Me and Apostle Emma sat down a young man a couple of years ago. Very gifted. If you hear that young man teaching, his ministry would shock you. Do you know the such people? It's like when you find somebody singing, oh, you're like, eh. with this voice, you don't have a record. 
And then you find guys like, and they're selling CDs. Yeah, and they have buildings and they're driving cars. And then you find this, they're like, do you have any CD? Have you ever written a song? No. That's how this young man is. The gift on him, it doesn't look like his ministry. But this young man, years ago, we sat him down and told him, look, your gift is misguided if it can't sit under a certain person. And I told him, and I'm not telling you this to come under me. In fact, I told him, by the time I came to tell you, it's because me, I can't handle you. So you know, I'm not telling you, oh, this guy is tricking me into... No, I told him, seek for an authority. Recently, we were sitting with Apostle Emma, and our hearts were bleeding. Because this is a young man whose premiers of the gospel are so promising. But you look at him, and I'm sure... You know, the scripture has a certain kind of people who will never change. When you're a man of the spirit, you can tell a man who will never change. Sometimes God can tell you. And he's the kind which will never change. I'm sure he'll never change. He'll never change. There are people who will never change. There are people who will never change. They are like that. Praise God. Now, you were not raised by a father, for example, sadly, which is not your fault. And then you enter a ministry and somebody fathers you. Who is he? You understand what I'm saying? You know the kind of people? No, no. Let me tell you. Spiritual authority is ordained by God. If you don't believe in that order, leave the church. Go start your own order. But if you're coming into the order of Jesus Christ, if you're coming into the order of the pattern of the gospel, you must account your life to somebody. Praise God, somebody. Praise God, somebody. Hallelujah. That's why John says in 21, 18, he says, verily, verily, this is Jesus speaking to Peter. He says, I say unto thee, when thou wast young, thou guardest thyself and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thine hands and another shall guard thee and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. He said, when you're young, you do things your own way. And it's so funny with some of our young guys. You know what they say? Me, I am guided only by the person of the Holy Spirit. 20 years to come, we shall have that conversation. And you will realize they don't have fruit. I have been in the gospel, now an active minister, now coming to 16 years. I've studied individuals. All of those guys, for the past 15, 16 years, I've observed them. There are clouds that hold no rain. There are cisterns that are leaking. They promise what? But they themselves are bound. Yet they promise a certain freedom. And they have a way with the gullible. I don't know how they get to them. You know there are people in the church which are gullible. Any strange wind of doctrine can take them. Anything. There are people who can't even think through and say, but this guy... If he's talking about this, how come it doesn't look like what he's saying? You understand? You get where I'm coming from? You understand what I'm saying? You cannot claim to give what you have failed to manifest in your life. How? Even to the degrees of the prophetic. I tell people that there are people you can't prophesy to. Because already the realms they are in is so above you 
that to even see where God is taking them, yeah, you need to be at a certain level. Otherwise, you're guessing. You can be accurate, but not true. There are certain people you can't speak into. You can see rightly, accurately, but yet you're not true. That was your own mind that guessed right. But there are people where they're in God. You need to be somewhere to even hear for them. Because it's great responsibility for them to respond to the prophetic word from your spirit. And I met such people over the years. Pastors, oh, ah, I see where God is taking you. And I'm like, but where you're speaking from? <laughs> I'm sure you don't know. Yet there are people who said it and I knew they were speaking from God. That's true. But there are people also who spoke on my life and I knew this one, no, this one. Is just imagining because they've seen the gift, right? You know that people can see the gift and predict. Prediction is not prophecy. <laughs> Jesus Christ stayed in one dimension all his 30 years of life until Elijah, John the Baptist. Are you hearing me? In the wilderness, the voice that is crying, prepare the realm is coming. He dips him into the what? The water. He comes up. And the Bible says, and the heavens open. In Luke chapter 3 verses 22. The Bible says, the heavens open. And the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him. And a voice from heaven said, thou art my beloved son. In thee I am well pleased. Do you know why I love the Luke account? It's the one I believe. The other account says, he says, this is. God was not trying to introduce his son to John. John knew it. This was God justifying, vindicating sonship over his own. He told him, you are my beloved son. He told him, in whom I'm well pleased. When the father and son relationship is introduced... Once Jesus is told this is his father, he understands it from that realm. See, oh, but he was born God. Yes, but you see, there are things that even in the nature of God he was raised, there were things he was submitted to grow in pattern, one of which was wisdom. That's why the Bible says the boy grew in wisdom and in stature. That means he didn't know everything that God had knew at a younger age. God allowed him to grow like any other individual as a pattern of them that should believe after. Are you following what I'm trying to tell you? So Jesus Christ also comes in and he receives the seal of sonship. He's begotten. He's given a name. He's welcomed into the household. Before men, he's confirmed that he is a beloved son. When love is affirmed and the father and son relationship is conferred and confirmed on the earthly, it's okay for him to be taken to the wilderness. He will not think that the father despises him. He will not think that he is less of the man. He will not think. No, he is led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. Certain temptations and testations come to him that are checking his person, his responsibility, his accountability, and relationship with the father. Now send a prodigal son or one which is not fathered into the wilderness, it will die there. Because it can tread inheritance for kingdoms. It cannot know the difference. It can assume to know the difference, but it can't. Like the scriptures tell you, 
the Pharisees, the Bible says in the Gospels, Jesus said, they would say that if they had been here in the days of the prophet, they would not have persecuted the prophets. But yet, lo, they persecute the prophets. Do you know people who think that, e, how could they just crucify Jesus? But Jesus looks through them and says, with what is in their hearts, if they were there, they would have done the exact things. They were just not there. Are you following what I'm trying to tell you? Now, you see Jesus Christ, okay? The son of God. When God confers it to him, he has to take the wilderness. When he comes from the wilderness, the Bible says he comes in the power of the Holy Ghost. Jesus enters the miraculous as a son. As a son. Sonship is conferred on him. Now, as his earthly ministry is unwrapping, right? His essence and intention is to bring many sons to glory. But you see, God that day showed that he would not execute his power through anybody without establishing the father's son. Illegitimacy is shameful in the spirit. And the desperate to, to be fathered drove many of us to the wrong men and women who almost killed us. If it was not for the Lord, some of you would not be in Christianity. Are you hearing what I'm trying to tell you? We started collecting graces from old books. The Huggins, dead bones were digging. You understand? We're trying to get this thing because that was the only way we could get it. And you know, many of the guys around, even those who came around and looked like the figure, they were not. And some were even bold to impose it. A man finds you and tells you, I've begotten you today, you're my son in the spirit. By fire, by force. Yeah, yeah, amen. Praise God. Then the next thing you know, you find yourself submitting to a guy called, Where is this? Do this, do that. I said, I have begotten you by fire. So, well, even forced into submission, you find yourself what? Submitting. Praise God. We went through dead bodies, bones of the Elishas of our day. Our bodies were thrown there and oil sat. We read of great men, read of great women. Read of great people. And we were desperate to be fathered. Desperate. And there are mistakes we made. We regret. We wish we had done better. And I am sure somebody fathered would not have made those mistakes. And some of these mistakes could have destroyed our ministries. And us. But you see. Who was there to tell us that this is how you go? We were hands, we were weapons. You understand? Now, the space is open. The speed at which the gospel of Christ is moving in this continent, many of you are going to become fathers and mothers quicker than you expect. Do you understand what I'm saying? But how can God entrust you with people when you cannot submit to one person, how are you expecting a harvest of a seed you can't sow? Are you following me? You reap what you sow. People of God, we have to go back to the old order of submitting to true authority. The only challenge is, Every guy with a beard, old age, is a spiritual father. Or anybody who has gotten something is a spiritual father. If he has money, 
as a spiritual father. Fears what? Let us go with you for we found raiment with you. The scripture says, you're my spiritual father because you dress well. You're my spiritual father because you have a nice car. You're my spiritual father because you go to America and back. And before I finish, I could not privately say what beneficially and with gratitude toward God I should say before you all. Years ago, I met a man called David T. Dimola. <laughs> I wished every man knew him the way I knew him. I wished every man knew him the way I knew him. First time I met him, I went on my knees. I said, God, make me like that man. I'd never seen spiritual authority like I saw in one man. And every word he spoke on my life came to pass. Every word. He was not speaking prophetically. He was speaking by faith. <laughs> but God would honor every word he spoke on a man's life. He was at that level. I saw men who can change men's destinies through one sentence. Men, you could call and say, a doctor found this in my body and he says, this is changed and it has to change. Are you hearing me? I start to realize that if our eyes are not open to understand this thing clearly in the church, we're not going to see families outside church. And if we can't build godly families, don't expect us to change the world. Who has understood what I just said? Submit to somebody. And if you choose to submit, submit. If you don't recognize their submission over them, don't waste your time. Look for one you can, but look for one. Somebody shout hallelujah. Don't ever walk this life unaccountable to somebody. Pray and consider. Don't rush into that decision. Are you hearing me? But when you get somebody you can listen to, listen. Listen. Listen you'll understand that without that pattern, you can't respond to the altar. Because altars respond to spiritual authority. Somebody shout hallelujah. Shout hallelujah. I feel in my heart to tell you that we can't run away from this responsibility. We can't run away from this pattern and if the church of Jesus Christ cannot raise men and women to further this generation our families are doomed our children are doomed my prayer to God is that he will kill rebellion out of the church of Jesus Christ let me tell you you can look for a father and fail to find but many match the positions and offices. Some things can only be spoken on your life and established by the authority that you submit under. That's the Father's heart. That's the Father's covenant. That's the Father's voice. That's the Father's raiment. That's the Father's anointing. And all of these, the facets 
of responsibility when you, father or mother people, your anointing is distinct. The raiment and garment you wear is distinct. Your children are ordained in your garment. Not anybody else. Whose son are you? When victory comes, they ask David, who's your father? Before that, they don't know. Are you hearing me? No spiritual father does not have a covenant with God. A certain covenant. A personal covenant. If this was understood, you'd not find men fighting each other anymore on television stations. You'd not find men fighting each other on radio. And some older ones fighting younger ones. Call the younger man. And that's why I tell our young men, if they don't call you, go to them. Be the father. Because the scripture is clear. It's the heart of the father to the child and the heart of the child to the father. Who comes first? The father. If they don't call you, you go to them. And be the father. Because when you do that, God has entrusted you with your next generation. You're already entering the responsibility to father. Why? Because the father was supposed to do something and they acted like a child. You go to them. But you don't go to them as a father. No, you go to them as a child. But you come from them as a father. Who has understood what I just said? No biological parent goes in the newspapers and writes about their own child. If a biological can't do that, what of a spiritual? No biological parent can go on radio, social media, and attack their own child. If a biological parent can't do that, how can a spiritual do that? Pray for our nation. And not true child can fight their father. If my father disagrees, if he says, let him say, I will not turn guns and shoot my father. I can't. That's him and his God. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because sonship into fatherhood gives me the responsibility to know, you know what? Even if they've said ABC, hold your peace. Silence. You understand why? Because the responsibility on my life cannot answer certain people. It can't. I would rather be wrong. You understand what I'm saying? I would rather be what? Be wrong. Because those who hear me, hear me when I say nothing. So I don't need to explain myself to everybody. No. Those who hear Rebecca Grace, hear him without saying what? Nothing. There are people who love us to death. We didn't buy them. God brought them. Do you understand what I'm trying to tell you? But most of all that we are loved by God. Fathers physical. Let us be good husbands to our wives. Let us be good fathers to our children. That's the only way we can change the narrative. We can't tell people how to be, but for us, we can be the best we are. And while we're failing, we seek help. You go to a fellow man and tell him, this thing is disturbing me. You pray together, fix it. Are you hearing what I'm trying to tell you? But we're not losing another generation disconnected. We want to see generals in our time. Somebody shout hallelujah. Speak in other tongues. You call me, you guide me, you lead me, walk beside me, cause I 
Jesus, I give my life to the potter's hand. You take me, you mold me, you use me, you feel me, cause I can't. The porter's hand. You call me. You guide me. You lead me. Walk beside me. Cause I kept my forgive then let fathers forgive but God forgiveness has got to come back in the body of Christ true submission and accountability has got to return in the body of Christ healing has got to come restoration has got to come in the body of Christ also people who are raised in dysfunctional families. Some were not even given opportunity to be raised by their own parents. And it's sad and I'm sorry but may God give you somebody to stand in that gap because it's possible. May God restore the integrity of family because if we don't have family, what are we preaching? If we don't see transgenerational inheritances, then what are we raising? That means every generation is going to raise prodigals, indifferent and rebellious seed. God, we can't raise another rebellious seed 
in this generation. We can't. May our altars stop to be transactional and become relational. May offices be ordained as they ought to. May understanding be given to those that must understand. God, we are praying for Uganda as a nation. We are tired of wars between fathers and sons. We rebuke that spirit that brings wars within children and their parents. We come against every spirit that sits on men to kill their own children. Like Saul desired the life of David. God, shall we see days where the unit in the body of Christ even changes men and brings them to salvation by the love they see emitted in our hearts. That doesn't mean that mistakes won't be there, but it only means that healing, love and understanding will prevail. In Jesus' mighty name. And all saints said, Amen. If you're here and you've never given your life to Christ, and in the things you've heard, you feel that you need God. Repeat these words after me. Say, Lord Jesus, we have heard the word my heart has received your message. Tonight, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I confess your Lordship over me. I'm born again. My life changes from today. Amen. The message you have just heard was brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number 041-466-4291 or email us at fenerocompala at gmail.com. You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at Uma Multipurpose Hall from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. You can also catch the live stream at livestream.com slash Fenero. Fenero. Make manifest.